Hello, this is uh, Pod for the Course, and I'm Tom Kay, the Senior Director of Communications for Washington Golf. And today uh, we have with us uh, Noda Begay III. Uh, Noda is a former PGA Tour player with four wins on the PGA Tour. Uh, he has uh, been a TV broadcaster commentator on uh, uh, tournaments on TV. Uh, he most recently and most probably most significantly uh, conducts the Noda Begay III Junior Golf National Championship. And Noda, we're happy to have you on with us today. Oh, thanks, Tom. It's uh, great to be on. Uh, I love that part of the country. I don't, I don't get up there very often, so um, this is a great chance for me to just kind of uh, interact and engage with you and hopefully share some great stories that people would be entertained with. Yeah. So uh, before we get into some of the significant uh, initiatives you're doing right now, let's, I'd like to maybe get some more background about yourself and specifically uh, for yourself, uh, I see that you're born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And how did you, how did it get, how did it happen for you to get into the game of golf? How, how did that happen? Well, um, as the first and only full-blooded American Indian to ever play on the PGA Tour and ever win on the PGA Tour, uh, it was a, a pretty uh, challenging road, so to speak. Um, half Navajo, one quarter San Felipe, and one quarter Isleta. Those are all primarily New Mexico tribes. The Navajo Nation does go into um, parts of Arizona and Utah as well, but has a big chunk of its reservation in New Mexico. And much of my family still live in and on the reservations, and so I, I travel back to them quite a bit. And uh, so looking at, at that pathway from uh, the poorest and, and some of the most desperate communities in the United States to a life of private jets and um, multi-million dollar contracts um, on the PGA Tour, uh, <laughs> if you if you can imagine, is quite an interesting road, but I, I had a lot of people that supported me along the way. Uh, got first interested in the game of golf through my father, who was not a very good golfer at all, but um, saw enough in me. I had enough interest um, for him to continue to encourage me to pursue it. Uh, I certainly couldn't afford to play the game um, on a regular basis, and after uh, about a year of saving up money and recycling cans when that was the thing back in the early 80s. Uh, I finally decided to wait outside in the parking lot of my local municipal golf course called Ladera Golf Course, and I waited out there one night for the head pro, whose name was Don Zamora, to walk out to his car, and he sees me leaning against his car, and I introduced myself and asked for a job, and I told him before he answered um, to understand that he didn't have to pay me any money. Uh, I was a bad <laughs> negotiator. And all he had to allow me to practice and play for free, and I would work um, in the mornings and the evenings for him. And at that point, I was nine years old. <laughs> so uh, from the time I was nine to the time I was 17 and, and went away to college, uh, I would work at Ladera. I'd show up at you know, five o'clock in the morning, I'd work till about seven, seven thirty, uh, sweeping, cleaning um, bathrooms, emptying trash cans, taking range buckets, filling uh, 
those buckets with range balls to be sold that day. Um, and and then about 7.30, 8 o'clock, they'd release me. I'd practice from about 8 o'clock till 6 o'clock nonstop. And, um, and then I'd help close the shop down. And I, I did that regularly. And by the time I was 17, I had become the number one junior golfer in the United States and um, had earned a scholarship to Stanford University and sort of that was my pathway um, to playing golf at an elite level. Mm -hmm. That's a significant jump uh, to go to Stanford on scholarship from from that beginnings, yeah? Yes, it it certainly was, and I had coaches that volunteered. Uh, We passed the hat to get me to certain tournaments. I, I didn't play a lot of, of what they classify as now as, as AJGA events. They were just simply a little bit out of my reach. I, I played a handful of them that were, um, there was a couple in Arizona I played and one in, in Denver, um, but they were just a, a little bit too expensive for me at the time to be able to pursue that. So I stuck to USGA qualifyings, um, uh, an event called the, the Big Eye Insurance Youth Golf Classic and the PGA of America events uh, along with local state events and things like that. So um, I made it work. It wasn't certainly uh, what you would call maybe an ideal pathway to collegiate golf, but it was certainly something that uh, I paid my dues and put my time in and sort of earned my right to uh, play at a school. Well, it became uh, quite a, a significant uh, experience at Stanford itself. I, I see that uh, you uh, that what what year was it? Uh, ninth, uh, what year did you win the the national championship as a team? Yeah, we won the national championship in 1994, mm-hmm. and we had at the time we had four juniors and one senior. Our senior was our fifth man, a guy named Brad Lanning. Uh, he mm-hmm. graduated. We replaced Brad with Tiger Woods in 1995, and so we were the basically the consensus number one ranked team in the nation most of the year. Uh, we went back and forth with Oklahoma State, and um, we ended up finishing second that year uh, after a, a, over 1,100 strokes in the national championship at the Scarlet Course at Ohio State. Both uh, Stanford and Oklahoma State tied. And so we went into a playoff. Uh, they beat us. And it's one thing that I sort of never let Tiger forget is that he made us worse. Um, <laughs> when he, well, because when without him, we won. And then with him, we finished second. But uh, yeah. he'll always – he'll, he'll, he, he likes to blame that on me too. So it's kind of a back and forth that we have that's kind of fun. Nice. Okay. What year did you graduate from Stanford? What was your last year there? I graduated in 1995 with a degree in economics and mm-hmm. had zero intention of ever using that degree because mm-hmm. I was going to play professional golf and then went out and played the mini tours for a couple of years, missed the Q school initially my first um, two tries. Uh, my third year, I got to the finals, uh, finished dead last at the qualifying school in Florida. Um, but that earned me conditional status on the Corn Ferry Tour in 1998. Um, I went out within the first seven events. I made one cut, uh, which moved me up um, in my category ranking. So then 
I was then able to play 22 events um, the remaining part of the year and finished 10th on the money list and and thus uh, earned my my road to the my ticket to the PGA Tour for 1999 mm-hmm. and went out and um, struggled. I struggled quite a bit. Uh, was making cuts but finishing, you know, 55th, 65th, 45th. Um, and then I ran into Seve Ballesteros in the the physio trailer and he was working out I was working out obviously he's a legend someone that I looked up to my whole life and it was tough for me to even muster up enough courage to say hi I'm being a rookie and he's a hall of famer major champion but I walked up and introduced myself and um, he said how's your year going and I said, "Oh, it's okay, not great. I'm making a lot of cuts, but I'm 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 not doing anything on the weekends." He looked at me dead in the eye, and he just said, "You know what? You have to start somewhere." And that stuck with me because it, I looked at it as a an element of encouragement from him, saying, "You know what? You're doing a lot of things right to be making cuts on the PJ Tour." And something just needs to fall in place. Um, And I had a great run um, about two months later at the, it was called the Buick Invitational, um, I believe. And that was at the old course in Warwick Hills, just outside Detroit. Um, Got got, um, moved all the way up to the leaderboard. I think I was leading the tournament at one time and then saw my name at the top of the leaderboard and I absolutely panicked and dropped all the way down the leaderboard and almost missed the cut. Um, And then it was about a month later that I I won my first PGA Tour event in Reno and then followed that up seven weeks later with another win my rookie year. Um, So ended up winning two events my rookie year and – Got my career off to a great start after um, a successful and, and very happy career at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like you. Uh, the next year, you had two more wins on the tour. Yeah, I mean, the only person that was winning more tournaments than me, Tiger Woods, at the time, mm-hmm. and he was winning like six or seven a year. So, my four mm-hmm. tournaments in ten months was nothing in comparison to what he was doing. And and so it was always a bit of a motivating factor for me to just to continue to push myself. Unfortunately, about a month after Tiger and I played the President's Cup together, uh, I got injured and uh, never played never played at a high level again. It was just a, a continual struggle for about the next 12 years until I stepped mm-hmm. away and moved into the broadcast arena, which is where I'm now happily mm-hmm. – um, established as a, a network analyst and I love my job. I love the people I work with. I love still being connected to the game and, and now being able to direct my time and efforts into other initiatives, including my foundation, but also this junior national junior golf initiative that I think is um, really important as I move forward. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking here. It looks like you found uh, your, the Notre third foundation you began in 2005. Yeah. That's correct. Yes, and it's and the main goal. The main goal for the foundation, Noda, is oh, initially 
uh, we started out trying to address the type 2 diabetes epidemic taking place in reservation communities across the country. Uh, American Indians suffer at the highest incidence of any group in the United States. Um, but a small organization with an operating budget of around $2.5 million wasn't going to do much to push that back when you had groups uh, like the Kellogg Foundation and um, other huge uh, multi-billion dollar endowed organizations that were throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at type 2 diabetes at the time, and this was about 10 or 12 years ago, and the numbers were still going up. So that was a clear indication to me that sort of maybe we needed to realign our purpose within the foundation, and so now we focus on a broad range of issues that are directed at um, allowing and encouraging kids to achieve their full potential through through health, fitness, um, cultural leadership, and educational programming. So um, sometimes our programs take on an educational spin. Sometimes they're fitness-related. Uh, during the COVID pandemic, we did a lot of virtual um, distance types of instructional classes that parents are, are just thanking us for now because it gave their kids something to look forward to every day. And mm -hmm. uh, in, in a time and a place with so much uncertainty surrounding COVID, the response, the recovery, the impact, um, we, we always got to try and continue to have positive elements for our kids to hold on to. And um, we were able to do that through, through much of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Much of my family uh, still lives in Montana, and there are several reservations in Montana, as you know. And I know uh, from their experience that they, during this COVID uh, era, uh, those reservations are hyper vigilant about people coming and going out of there uh, because of these reasons. Is that is that correct? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but unfortunately. The, the comorbidities that exist in a large section of the American Indian population um, puts them at such a high risk rate, which is why you see such a high death toll. I mean, the, the Native American population is dying at 20 times more than national average. And uh, it's unsettling, it's unfortunate. Uh, but it's also a reflection on the lack of healthcare infrastructure that exists in these communities. So as vigilant as many of the reservation communities have been, once it gets in there, um, it's, it's an extremely, it takes an extremely devastating toll on the community. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, so uh, you've, uh, out out of the plane, you're no longer playing. You are broadcasting. You, you then you started the foundation, and this uh, I want to talk about this junior golf national championship. Now, did this come out of the foundation? Was this sort of a, a an, an offshoot of that, or is that part of it, or, or its own entity, or what? Well, initially I did want to do it. Um, my partner in the venture, Ryan Burr, who I've worked with at Golf Channel for years. Um, had a concept of that was born out of necessity, so to speak. He has a son who's heavily invested in junior golf and is a junior in high school and will, will probably most likely play uh, Division One 
golf at some point in the next couple of years. Um, they were coming back from a prominent junior golf event and his son had just won and he had won a handful of points for his junior golf ranking and, and had a $3 trophy that fell on the ground in the back seat and was already broken on the drive home. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ryan had spent over $2,000 for entry fees and hotels and gas money to drive from Orlando uh, to um, the the host site. And he just kind of looked at himself like, man, there's got to be more to this. And so both of us having a background in television and understanding just kind of the, the attraction that television and any sort of, of promotional platform uh, that you can give to these young kids is, is an extremely uh, interesting thing for them to, to look at. So we made playing on national television um, the end goal. And so we created mm-hmm. just an event around um, kids having a chance to get national exposure and um, being able to uh, showcase their talents to coaches across the country and, and possibly around the world. And so um, for us to be able to now say uh, in, a, in a venture that we started just over 15 months ago, believe it or not, that 3,000 kids participated last year that produced a field of 156. Um, many of our players uh, are going on to play at Division One schools there's a handful of players that played extremely well that had no attention given to them prior to our event, but now have legitimate collegiate offers on their dinner table um, worth their consideration um, is a success. But the mission of of our event isn't to send your kid to a Division One college program or any college program. The mission of, of our event is to provide kids an accessible and achievable pathway to play competitive golf. Mm-hmm. Um, we did not turn down one kid last year that wanted to play in any of our events. We said no to nobody. And I think that in order for us to grow this game, we need to start saying yes to to young kids that show an interest in golf. And we need to say yes to trying to find ways for them to stay engaged because our game at many points and at many turns keeps telling us, no, no, you can't play here because you don't belong here. No, you can't play here because it's too expensive. No, you can't play here because there's no facilities near you. It's it's a no, no, no process for a, a lot of people that young kids that want to enjoy what you and I have sort of come to be second nature in our lives, which is this game. And so, You know, our mission of our event is to keep kids. We had kids that were shooting in the 90s and the 100s last year, and I want them to come back because I want to keep them in this game, not because I think it's important for them to play on the PGA Tour or go play at Stanford, but because golf is a game that sticks with you for a lifetime. And when we're in an era where the – you know, video games and all of the digital platforms are just sucking up so much of our time and so much of our interest. Going out and sort of rewinding things a little bit, getting on the tee box and having to focus 
intently on a singular activity for 15 to 20 seconds while you engage in that particular golf shot is an extremely valuable skill for young kids to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, my son is just now picking it up. He loves it. Um, I, I find it, it calms him down. I find that his attitude at home is better. He's more respectful for to his parents, to his siblings, um, because of his time on the golf course, because you can't rush it. You can't rush the game. It, it comes mm-hmm. at you at its own pace. And that's something that I want to give uh, to another generation of young golfers. And this Junior Golf Championship is the best way for us to do that. Mm-hmm. So this last year then, 2020 was the first full year? Is that correct? It was the first full year. And um, mm-hmm. like I said, we have over 3,000 kids try to qualify. Um, we've got wonderful partners in in Wilson Golf and Nike Golf and Golf Tech and Junior Golf Hub that are all aligned and ready to engage these young kids with product support and technological support, uh, equipment fittings, um, mm-hmm. guidance on uh, practice measures, h- how to get better. And it's all accessible through our platform. You know, we're just trying to create the singular point of entry for any junior golfer at any skill level to be able to engage with us and find something valuable that helps them in their own development in pursuit of their own goals. Mm-hmm. I'm looking on the website right now, which is jgnc.org, and uh, you've already got uh, several. Uh, you've already got the schedules laid out for 2021, and I see that in the Puget Sound area, Seattle area, uh, there are four uh, local qualifiers already set up, and uh, online entries are available on that website. And uh, there is to be a regional qualifier up at Loomis Trail Golf Club in late July. Um, but uh, evidently, this is was pretty much the s- similar scenario that you did last year. There was a series of qualifiers that I noticed and then a national uh, championship, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And so the the newest layer, which we're able to add, because there's a little bit more certainty, um, last year, as a startup, believe it or not, um, you know, COVID hit and we weren't sure if we were going to be able to continue, but we collectively decided to continue to move forward and we eliminated all of our local qualifiers Mm -hmm. just of, of the circumstance. But now we're able to reintroduce those, what we feel is in a better fashion so that, that, Anybody, like I said, anybody that's on the periphery of whether or not they want to play competitive golf can sign up, and that's why we have so many local qualifiers. They're they're not going to be fields of a hundred kids. It's going to be somewhere from you know twenty five to fifty kids, mm-hmm. and over over fifty percent of those fields will earn their way into the regional. So it's not like we're sending 20 kids out to qualify for one spot like I used to have to qualify for the U.S. Junior or the U.S. Amateur here in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, 20 kids are going to go out and 10 kids are going to get in. So, <laughs> it you know, we're trying to create this situation where there's there's success waiting for, for the kids um, as they put themselves out there. And I think that's what – that's the – 
the energy and the mentality we're trying to create around this is we want to engage, we want to reward, um, and we want to make this as positive of an experience for every single kid that signs up. Um, and that doesn't break the bank. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these these 18-hole qualifiers are $139. And, um, you know, with an opportunity to earn your way to a regional qualifier. And if you do earn your way to a regional qualifier, uh, all you do is pay the difference um, in the fees. And you get uh, apparel from Nike. You get golf balls from Wilson. You get a free club fitting from Golf Tech, a free swing analysis from Golf Tech, and access to the Junior Golf Hub. So um, Mm -hmm. if you add up the value of all of those benefits, it's close to $500. And the overall entry fee for the kids is $299. Mm -hmm. Wow. And again, that looks like the entries are, are can be taken online at jgnc.org. Uh, there are four r- local qualifiers in the Seattle area, one in April and May and June and July, with the regional in late July up at Loomis Trail. And I see also that uh, you've partnered with uh, the WJGA, the Washington Junior Golf Association, which I think is pretty a pretty good sit- uh, setup between the two of you associations, yeah? Yeah, I mean, synergies in the in the industry are important. I mean, the mm-hmm. WJ, uh, WJGA has been, been around for a long time. They know the landscape. They, they've got the junior golfers. Um, and we want to come in and be an asset to what they're already doing. We're not coming in to compete or, or make anybody, um, uh, you know, sort of feel uncomfortable. We're, we're trying in just to create this, this pathway again. You know, where does it go? I guess is what a parent or a player has to ask themselves is saying, Hey, look, I can keep playing locally for a long time, but at some point I got to get to a, to a national level if I'm good enough. And mm-hmm. so if you can, if you can get through the local qualifier, it means your skill levels at a certain point. If you can get through the regional qualifier, it means that your skill level has elevated to a certain point. And when you're competing at the nationals, if you just look at the top 10 players, that finished um, in the boys 14 to 18 division this past year, there are kids going on scholarship to University of Alabama, Auburn University, University of Oregon, the 2016 national champion, um, Illinois, Texas, like all of the best golf programs in the United States are represented in that top 10. So if you are able to make it to the nationals um, through our system, you have identified yourself as being one of the premier junior golfers in the United States. And because of our television platform now, college coaches um, can go on our website and possibly be able to catch um, a swing or two of yours um, on the broadcast. Mm -hmm. Um, And speaking of opportunity, I I see that um, the winner of the 14 to 18 age group of your most recent national championship uh, received an exemption to play in the uh, Circling Raven Championship, uh, which is a Symmetra Tour event, uh, which is the developmental tour for the LPGA. Her name is Alan Stevens, and uh, she uh, got an exemption into that event, which is a pretty pretty uh, awesome thing for her. It really is, and she's got a great story. Um, 
Alan Stevens is an African-American young lady from Houston, Texas. Her dad um, had a very successful career in the NBA and played primarily for the Houston Rockets. After his NBA career, he went back to school, uh, went to law school, and is now a magistrate judge in, in the city of Houston. And this is a young lady that didn't have a tremendous amount of interest from college coaches around the country, but because of what she was able to accomplish and to play at that level um, on a television broadcast, you know, she now has a lot more interest in sort of her abilities. But I think that what the, you know, what Coeur Tribe was able to do to do for us um, through the Circling Raven ch- Championship on the Symmetra Tour in 2021 is an amazing opportunity for Alan Stevens as uh, an aspiring young golfer that wants to play at the highest level. Um, Many of the young ladies that play the Symmetra Tour are the stars of the LPGA um, in the next coming years. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate enough to, to go around the venue with Laura Stensgar, the GM, um, of, of the Circling Raven um, property uh, of the casino, and she was a wonderful host, and, and I got a chance to play with her. I got a chance to play with her sister, and they come from a golf family. They 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 play, they they know how to play. They they play well. They enjoy it. They play by the rules. It was it was a, a wonderful experience for me. But I just was taken aback with just how beautiful the property was and the golf course and, and, and just everything out there was, was spectacular. And so for them to be able to host an event like this, it it probably very quickly will become one of the most popular stops on the Symmetra tour. And for Alan Stevens, our first champion of the MB3 JGNC, um, it's going to be an experience of a lifetime just to see how she measures up against uh, future LPGA players. Yeah. The uh, Circling Raven Championship is going to be held August 23rd through the 29th in 2021 uh, at Circling Raven Golf Club, which is in Worley, Idaho, which is in the northern part of Idaho, just not too far from Coeur d'Alene area. And again, uh, the Circling Raven Golf Club is an amenity of the Coeur d'Alene Casino Resort, which is owned by the Coeur d'Alene Tribe. And uh, I have been to Circling Raven myself, and I know it to be a, a really great uh, golf course. And uh, the uh, Symmetra Tour has a three-year commitment to play this tournament at Circling Raven, and this is going to be the first year coming up here. They were supposed to start last year, but uh, COVID had uh, other ideas for it. Uh, so this coming August is going to be the first year of it, of three-year commitment. And your uh, connection, uh, uh, Noda, with uh Coeur d'Alene tribe, obviously, with your own heritage, I, I imagine it was sort of a natural connection for you, yes? Oh, it was a great connection, but the sort of connection was really brought into clarity uh, because I've been mentoring a young lady who is now on the Symmetra Tour. Uh, her name is Gabby Lemieux, and she's um, from the Shoshone Paiute Duck Valley Reservation in the southern part of Idaho, and she was an All-American at Texas Tech uh, University, set the all-time career scoring average at Texas Tech, played for JoJo Robertson down there. And uh, when I saw her potential, um, I got in touch with her and I I offered sort of um, my services as as a guide, 
as, as a sounding board. And so now we've been working together for just over two years. And um, for her to be able to uh, qualify and become a full-time member of the Symmetra Tour, but also to have an affiliation with another tribal entity in the Coeur d'Alene um, venture at, at Circling Raven and now to go and, and participate in their championship in August, I think, is a culmination of a lot of great things that are happening um, for Native American um, young people that pursue golf. And so mm -hmm. I think that she's going to, you know, she's a wonderful representative um, of her community. She's a great golfer. And, you know, my hope is to see her competing uh, full-time on the LPGA. But everybody's got to earn their way, just like I did. And the Symmetra yeah. Tour for females is the next stepping stone to the LPGA Tour. Yeah, uh, Gabby Lemieux, uh, we knew her around here as Gabby Barker uh, back during her amateur days uh, before she went away to school. Um, she was a three-time Idaho State champion, and we're very aware of, of her game, that's for sure. Uh, she went to uh, Texas Tech, as you said, and then shortly after that, she married, and her name is now Gabby Lemieux. And uh, yes, she is going to be playing uh, at the Circling Raven Championship, so I look forward to watching her out there as well. Um, well, uh, Noda, I, I appreciate your time on this. Uh, the, you obviously have.